you're here today and you have your Bible and you want to follow along there, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 in just a, a few minutes. And um, as we've been talking about the church and, and how it's structured and what its purposes are and, and um, all the things relating to that, I, I've had in the back of my mind, and it's something that I learned uh, many years ago, and Rick Warren wrote a couple of books uh, about the purpose-driven this or that. And The Purpose-Driven Life was a book that uh, hit me right in, in my college years, and so it was a very formative book for me as, as I was taking ownership of my own faith. It wasn't just what my parents had taught me or what my Sunday school teachers had, had given to me. It was something where it was like, no, I'm really into this. No one's making me go to church anymore. I'm going because I want to be here. And, and that's around the time that that first hit. And so the purpose-driven life is something that really has meant something to me. And so if you haven't ever read, I, I believe he put together a series called 40 Days of Purpose. And, and that was what I went through. And it was 40 days, 40 devotionals of uh, talking about God's purpose for your life. And again, that's a, a foundational thing. But he also wrote um, The Purpose-Driven Church. And so it's a, an, another take on these same principles. And what he, he pointed out in that book was that there are basically five areas of purpose or five purposes of the church. And those five purposes are this. They're worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. Now, if I'd been more prepared, I'd have put all those on the screen for you, but I, I'm, I'll just repeat them for you right now. Worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. Now, those things um, can kind of be summed up this way. Worship is focusing on God and giving glory to Him. Ministry means serving those within and those outside the church. Evangelism has to do with telling others about the gospel. Fellowship is partnering together and bearing one another's burdens. And discipleship is growing in our faith to be more like Christ. And what Rick Warren pointed out in his book was that these five purposes should guide the church in what they should move forward in, what they should endeavor to do, what they should be sent, you know, sending people to do, what they should be spending their resources on, what they should be focused towards, because these are the five purposes that Scripture points towards for the church to be involved in. And... Um, and so those things are always in my mind. Now, these five purposes are not mutually exclusive. In other words, there's not some, there, there are a few activities, if any, that I could think of that would be purely one purpose or another. You know, most of the time, you, you're going to have at least three of the purposes involved in whatever activity you're doing. For example, last week we talked about sending people out, that the church is called to send people into the work of ministry. And if we're to send people out, well, at first, that may look like evangelism, right? That's the easiest thing. Oh, we're sending people out to tell people the gospel, and so it sounds like an evangelism purpose. And that, that's true that evangelism is definitely one of the purposes for sending people out. But more than that, there's going to have to be, as people are, who are sent get on the ground and they want to establish relationships in those communities, there's going to be ministry that needs to take place as well. And so your evangelism is there, but also ministry is there. And for the church that is sending them out, discipleship is also a necessary part of that process. And so many times these five different purposes of the church are really working together, working in tandem as the church achieves the goals that it set before itself. 
And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about the vision of Good Hope Family Fellowship and how I see these purposes kind of blending together to help us achieve that vision. So today I want to talk about um, the vision of, of GHFF, which is uh, our vision statement is to be a church that helps people be transformed by the gospel. We want to be a church that helps people be transformed by the gospel. Now, just a, a few words on that, that we want to be a church, what that means is a group of people. Church is not an organization or a building as much as it is just a group of people. Now, the, the building gives us a place to meet. The organization helps us function well. But it's really, it's just us. We want to be a group of people that helps people be transformed by the gospel. The word transformed, of course, means to be changed. And there are some of us today that are like, well, I don't really want to be changed that much. I kind of like who I am now. And the reality is that none of us have achieved what God has designed us for. We're not there yet. And as long as we live here on the earth, God should be shaping us and changing us and molding us more into the image of His Son. And so as we want to be a church that helps people be transformed, that doesn't mean that we have been transformed and now we're trying to help other do it, others do it. No, we are being transformed. And so as much as we want to help others who are not yet part of this group, we want to be helping each other be transformed. And the method or the mechanism by which we're transformed or the, the model into which we are being transformed is the gospel. When I talk about the gospel, what I mean is the good news that Christ has already paid the price. The good news that though we are sinners and separated from God, Christ has made it possible for us to have fellowship with Him. He took upon Himself, as though He came and He lived, He put flesh upon Himself, and He went to the cross an innocent man, having never done anything against God's design. And as innocent as He was, it made him eligible to take on my sin and to take on your sin. And what Jesus did in shedding his blood was he paid a price that we could not have paid for ourselves. And he made a way for us to have fellowship with him. And so now, when we recognize that, when we understand what Christ has done for us, and we recognize and acknowledge that there was no way we could have saved ourselves. There, there's no checklist that if you complete every item on the checklist, then you will get into heaven. It's not that way. It doesn't work that way according to Scripture. It is not by works so that no one can boast. The Scripture makes it very clear that it was Christ and Christ alone that made it possible for us to enter into heaven. For us to have peace with God. And so we cannot earn our way into heaven. And so we acknowledge that Christ did it all for us. And so then what we do is we, we seek to live out our lives in such a way that we give glory and honor to Him. And we seek to find ways to tell others that same good news. Because it's not on us. It's, it's not my responsibility. It's not on me to make sure that I do enough good things to earn my way into heaven. I, I don't have to continuously put things on the scales. Because I can trust 
fully in the Christ's gift for me and his sacrifice for me. So we want to be a church that helps people be transformed by the gospel. When the gospel sinks into our hearts, it changes us from the very core of who we are. And it will continue to change us throughout our lives. And if you have received the gospel, if you have understood the gospel, if you have put your hope and your faith in the gospel, then we ought to be about telling that same good news to others and helping them shape their lives according to that same good news that we are seeking to shape our lives in accordance with. That is who we are going to be. That is what God has called our church to be. And so I want to look at a couple of passages today in light of that. If we go to Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul says this to the church at Galatia. He says, Brethren, not brethren, excuse me, <laughs> brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now listen, what Paul is getting at here in these verses is he's pointing out the fact that there are some of us that as we navigate this life, we get to a point where things are kind of moving well. And then we can look and see other people who are slipping up, who are making mistakes, who are falling into some kind of trespass. And his advice to those who are spiritual, those who are walking according to the Spirit, when they see someone else trespass, when they see someone else make a mistake, instead of judging them and pushing them out, we ought to try to restore such a one as that. That as we seek to be the church of God, as we want to be formed in the image of Christ, whenever we see those who are lost, we should have compassion for them and be welcoming them back in to the fold. We should be pursuing them the way that Christ pursued us. He says, I want you to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so the church has been given this this task of looking to those who are in need, looking to those who are falling short, and looking at them with compassion and seeking ways to help them and come alongside them. We're not to take on an air of superiority. We're not, we're not supposed to think of ourselves as having achieved anything because it's not we ourselves who achieved it. If there's any goodness in me, it is because of Christ in me. If there's anything in me that is righteous or that is doing good, it is because Christ has done good for me. It's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm, I'm just better at this. It's not that at all. But I recognize that Christ has given to me, and so I want to help those who haven't found that truth yet. And I want to be there for them as they are underneath a heavy load. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
As you look in our culture today, there, is, there are great divides among us. In fact, the sad truth is, is that if you visit around to a lot of different churches, when you walk through the doors of many churches, you find kind of a, a common theme or thread of the membership of those churches. In other words, you walk into a lot of churches today and everyone kind of looks alike. And the reality is, is that our churches shouldn't just look like each other within our own walls. We should look like the community in which we live. In other words, we should be looking for people who live in our community that maybe are not like us, that we could come alongside and help. I've had the, the opportunity over the years to come alongside some people who are very different than me. Several of you may, may know Jimmy and remember him. Jimmy and I couldn't be more different from each other. I don't know much about his early childhood, but when Jimmy was 19 years old, he was working for someone stealing cars, delivering them to the chop shop, let them file off the VIN numbers and sell them out for parts. It's the life that he ended up in. It's a bad choice. Fortunately, my parents wouldn't have let me get away with something like that. When he was 19, he stole a car and decided he wanted to drive it for a few days before he took it to the chop shop, and they caught him. And he went to, he went to jail for a long time. He was there for 10 years. He got out for, it wasn't good behavior. I don't know exactly the, the legal system that got him out. And for, from 19 to 29, the only culture he knew was jail culture. Jim and, Jimmy and I were very different. So when I was 19, I, went, I got married. <laughs> I was in college. I was getting a, a four-year degree so that I could become a teacher. And, and, and I went through the experience of becoming an adult in society while he was serving time and learning all kinds of bad habits. When I met Jimmy, he was 40 years old, turning 41. And he had served a couple more terms in, in jail. And one of the first things we did for Jimmy was we, <coughs> we bought him some groceries. At the time, we didn't know it, but he was living in a, uh, well, he was, I won't get into all those details. It, it, was, it was not a place where you would live. It wouldn't be a place that you would consider to be a home at a, in any stretch. Eventually, we got him a step up to that in a borrowed tent in a campground out here on the lake. That was a step up. But we took him to the grocery store once, and, and he went through the store. We, we said, here, we want to respect his dignity. Here's some money. You go buy what you want. And you would have thought that I handed the money to a 12-year-old. He came back with, you know, Little Debbie sandwiches and Doritos and Dr. Pepper. I mean, it was, it was nothing that would work. Another time we took him back, we kind of coached him. Oh, Jimmy, no, you can't, you can't live off of this stuff. This is not going to work. Gave him some coaching. You, you need to think about meals and, and plan your food. He went and he bought meat out of the, the, the 
butcher section, you know, and he, he got this. He said, look at the deal on this meat. This great big flat box. I said, Jimmy, you don't have a refrigerator yet. But it was such a good deal. It was the messiest thing I'd ever gotten involved with. Because I didn't understand the way he thought. And so it took me a long time to figure out, where do we need to start this process? But he kept coming around, and he kept coming around, and he kept coming around. And he was listening, and he was learning little pieces. We got him a job. He got his own place. And he wasn't fixed by any stretch of the imagination. We didn't solve anything in Jimmy's life. And right now, as best I know, he's, he's on the run because he's in trouble. It's either him or the lady he's with. But it was messy. And that wasn't my responsibility. But it was my opportunity to come alongside Jimmy and help him bear his burdens. I spent more time with Jimmy than I spent with just about anyone else through that time. And I learned that a lot of his choices and bad decisions were just a product of where he grew up. And he didn't know any different because no one had ever told him any different. I got to meet his mom. I got to meet other men that had been in and out of his life, friends that he had, and I realized he didn't have any idea how to live it any differently. God loves Jimmy. And Jesus went to the cross and died taking all of Jimmy's sins on himself so that Jimmy could have peace with God. And Jesus did the same thing for me and he did the same thing for you. And so as often as God gives me the opportunity, I'm going to try to help guy like Jimmy. It's difficult. It is messy. It puts us in position where we don't really want to be involved in what we're involved with. I learned about parole and how that works. I learned about how bonds are issued. I learned that you have to somehow pay to get someone's license reinstated before he can actually get his first official driver's license. The state of Texas issued him a driver's license so that they could take it away. He'd never had it. But if you steal a car, you get your license taken away. And he didn't have one, so they couldn't take it away. So they gave him a number and then took it away. I didn't know that. I have no need to know that in my own personal life. But I waited in with Jimmy. And there are a lot of people in between. Jimmy was an extreme case. There are a lot of people in between that they just need little things for someone to come alongside and help them. If you've ever spent time on the phone with a, a any kind of company trying to get something accomplished, where you've got to go through the chain of command, you know there are some things in this life that are really difficult to navigate. 
And there are folks around here, they don't know how to navigate those things. And it might just be that they can come up here, bring their numbers with them, and we sit down and say, okay, you need to accomplish this. Let's get on the phone, and I'll, I'll try to help as best I can. I think that that is part of bearing one another's burdens. There's a huge divide in our culture where we look on people who live in a circumstance that's different than our own and we think, wow, they've made a lot of bad choices. And there's such a great divide that sometimes we think, I can't help them get back up to here. And that's not the call. The call is to come alongside them as long as you have opportunity. Shoulder that burden with them. It's their load to bear. But we're bearing the extra weight of the burden to try to help them get further down the road. And I know that Jimmy made progress. Like I said, I don't think he's walking with the Lord. I don't, I don't know that he, he's really learned all the lessons that God has for him to learn, but I know that he learned something. And if we're going to be the church of God, I believe we have to take this full on. So what was the purpose in helping Jimmy? Well, it was definitely ministry. Clearly it was ministry because it was just serving him with things that he had no ability to pay for himself. Taking rides all the way down to Kaufman to deal with bondsmen. Spending hours at the DMV trying to get questions answered. He needed someone to do that. And ministry is about helping people with things they need. It was definitely evangelism. So we had a lot of conversations about the Lord. And Jimmy would get really excited and then kind of start to miss the point. And so there was a lot of course corrections. Like, whoa, don't get too far down that road. Listen, come back. It's about grace. And he would get down on himself and we had to encourage him again and again and again. It's about fellowship. It's about getting alongside someone and sharing in the ministry. It's about doing life together because there are things in my life that I still have to have help to figure out. If we're going to be the church that God really wants us to be, we've got to be fulfilling all of these purposes at once. And we've got to be willing to reach out to people who are not much like us and get into the messy things of life. It was funny this morning because I, I had that expression, we, we've got to be willing to get into the mess. We've got to be willing to get our hands dirty. And Julie called this morning. She had gone to pick up somebody for church and got stuck in their yard, in the mud. And I was like, messy hands. Okay, Lord. There are times where it can be really frustrating. Uh, look with me in Matthew chapter 25. This passage of Scripture is one that you know, we've kind of touched on a few times. I want us to look at it one more time today. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40, Jesus is describing a scene that will take place sometime in the future. And Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, beginning in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the imagery here is this, that Jesus is seated on a throne, he's got all the nations before him, and he makes everybody switch sides. All right, you over here on the right, you over here to the left, and those on his right, he says, come and inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you. Now, if, if I just started pointing at you and I said, all right, you to the right, you to the left, you to the right, you to the left, you might not be able to pick up on what the criteria was, and these people give, are, are given an explanation of why they were chosen to be on his right and chosen to be on his left. He says this, for I was hungry, he's on his right, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now listen, these, these things that Jesus is describing, that these, these people on his right have done, what it is is it's evidence that they understood how the gospel had impacted their lives such that they were willing to, in turn, share that same blessing, that same good news, that same experience of being given something with those around them. And here's what's so important about that is Jesus said, you did it for me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. said, we didn't see you, Lord. When did we ever do that? We never saw you sick or in prison. When did we do that for you? And Jesus said, when you did it for those, even the least of these, when you did it for others, you were doing it ultimately for me. Sometimes, It can be a fruitless work. I really wish that today I could... And here's Jimmy right here. Look at where he's come. But I can't do that. Not yet. Maybe never. But I'm willing to do it for Jimmy. I'm willing to do it for the next guy that comes knocking on our door. I'm willing to go wherever it goes because though they may never thank me for it, Though they may get mad and threaten me for being too nosy into their life. No matter what, I'm not doing it for them. We're doing it 
for our Savior. And He's watching. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're about. He wants us to share with others what we've been given. And He says, even the least of them. Listen, here in our community, live the least of them. They're here. I've never lived in an area quite like this where within a half mile's drive you can see million dollar homes and you can see utter slums. And if you don't believe me, come see me sometime. We'll go for a drive. But the fact is, if the church is doing what it ought to be doing, we ought to have people of both walks of life in these doors. Because what brings us together is not our financial status. What brings us together is not the color of our skin. What brings us together is not our level of education. What brings us together, and the reason we gather here, is because we have one Savior and one Lord who paid the price for me in the privileged way that I grew up, and He paid the price for Jimmy, who grew up in a situation where he didn't have much hope of making the right decisions. He grew up in this... Jesus died for all of us. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. He paid the price for all of us. The the Scripture tells us, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember learning this verse from the time I was very young. I thought I knocked something over. From the time I was very young, I remember hearing this verse. In fact, I remember memorizing this verse when I was in elementary school. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And in my young mind, I was thinking, okay, so somehow we do things here that, you know, flicks a coin into our bank account in heaven. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that really looked like. I had a mental picture of, like, crowns and and pirate's treasure basically being set aside for me in heaven for the good things that I do here on earth. I didn't know how it would work exactly. And as I got older and I thought about this, I remember there was a time I heard a preacher talk about the fact that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. When we think about treasure here in my, you know, eight-year-old mind, I'm, I'm thinking about golden cups and little doubloons or whatever being stacked up. Pearls and rubies and sapphires, you know, those kinds of things is what I'm thinking of when I hear the word treasure. So I'm going to receive treasure in heaven for doing good things here, like God's divvying out Davy Jones's locker or something. I don't know. And then you read about what heaven it looks like. As the descriptions come in, it says that the streets are paved with gold. That, that the, the gates are made out of pearl. You realize that for us to have stockpiled gold somewhere 
for someone in heaven's economy, they would look, look at us as if we were holding in high value asphalt or concrete. That's the stuff we use to make things. We don't string together wooden beads and think, oh, doesn't this look fine? Right? We make gates out of wood. In heaven, they make gates out of pearl. We string it together like it's jewelry. And so we have a a wrong sense of the economy of heaven whenever we, we think the way that I thought as a child, that God is somehow handing out treasure, precious stones, and that kind of thing. And what I learned is this. The treasure in heaven... The thing that is most valuable in heaven is not the things that we value here on earth. The most valuable thing in heaven is the thing that God paid the highest price for. When Jesus went to the cross, when God gave His only Son to die on the cross, He wasn't doing that to purchase gold. or stocks in Apple. When, when, when God paid the highest price, He was purchasing peace with men. He was purchasing souls to become citizens of heaven. What God paid the highest price for is people. And if we're going to operate under the same economy, Here and now, we need to recognize the most valuable thing that we can pursue is people. And it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they smell like. It doesn't matter what their education level is, what their financial status is. It doesn't matter whether they have anything to offer us. They were precious in the eyes of God. Enough that Jesus went to the cross and died for them. Listen, there there is so much that can be done. In fact, the task is overwhelming if you really stop and think about it. We're not called to solve the problem. We're called to fulfill our part. We've talked about this several times. Each of us is gifted in one way or another. Each of us has access in one area or another. Each of us has experience in in various things. And so those things God brings together as resources for us to fulfill His will. For us to be involved in the same economy of heaven that we are willing to use those resources to win souls to Christ. So it's about all of these purposes that we talked about we ought to be worshiping God publicly and boldly so that as others come in they know that it's not that we're praising ourselves for having achieved anything but we are praising the one who lives to save us it's about ministry it's about serving one another and serving those outside the church even those who have nothing to offer to us in return It's about evangelism. It's about telling them the gospel. If we did a lot of serving of others and meeting people's needs, but we never told them the gospel, then we are cheating them out of the one thing that is most important. We have to be telling them the gospel. It's about fellowship. 
It's about being partnered together with others and bearing one another's burdens. And it's about discipleship. It's about growing in our faith to become more like Christ so that we can help others grow in theirs as well. Listen, I firmly believe this, that the church ought to look like its community. That there ought to be people coming together in this place from every aspect of our community. I, I love the fact that when Ketron comes and leads us, he leads us as himself. So I don't think that you're going to find a more soulful interpretation of go tell it on the mountain than what we sang a few months ago. And that's not my background. But I love it. Listen, I, we need to have the, the kind of church where people come together and they are loving one another even though they may have very different interests, even though they may have very different backgrounds. We can learn to love one another and we can find that common ground in Christ and then learn from one another so that we can have a greater impact for the kingdom. I love learning from John about city uh, ordeals and the things that he, he deals with at work and hearing his approach to dealing with conflict and at the same time I spend a lot of time talking to Josh about how to fix my cars. And being together in church gives us opportunity to be around people who can encourage us, lift us up, and give us those kinds of resources. And when someone comes to talk to me and they say they have some problem that they're dealing with, I may not have the answer. But because I know Dino, he might have the answer. I know how to find out things about where we can go to get problems solved. I, I've had to spend some time talking to Betty to figure out some ministry issues because of her experience in the clerk's office. And see, the church, when it comes together from its different backgrounds, its different walks of life, it is enriched. And I hope that Keatron keeps teaching us new songs because we need to learn new ways to worship the Lord. We need to be experiencing something outside of ourselves so that we don't stagnate. It's not just about being comfortable when we're here. It's about being challenged to do more for the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm convinced God's going to keep sending us people who need our help. And I may not have all the answers. You may not have all the answers. It doesn't matter if you do. Do the part that you can do. And then help them find resources for how they can find more. But more important than that, welcome them into this family that we have here. And in doing that, in coming alongside even the least of these, we are showing them the love of God that has been so richly bestowed on us. And it opens the opportunity to share with them the gospel that can truly transform their lives. Let's pray again. God, I thank you. 
that you have brought us together and knit us together in such a special way. Father, I thank you that you bring together people with experience and resources to help with people who have little. Father, I pray that we would, as your word directs us, that we would bear one another's burdens, even if it's messy, even if it's thankless. May we recognize that we are truly offering our gifts and our service to you. And Lord, you're watching. You've told us that you recognize your servants by their willingness to serve others. So Father, I pray that we would look more like you, selflessly giving of ourselves to win souls through the kingdom of God. As we seek to do that well, Lord, I pray that you would open doors of opportunity open windows of resources and give us wisdom to do it well. For your glory and for your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm blessed to be a part of this this family that's here. You guys are an encouragement to me. Because I know that you're all here to serve one Savior and you're willing to serve each other. It gives me great opportunity to go out and be a blessing to others where I wouldn't have opportunity otherwise. And God wants to use each of you. You don't have to do much. You don't have to solve the world's problems. Just be willing to help those who are right next door or down the street, or those that you meet at the dollar store or the gas station. And give to the Lord as you give to the least of these. You respond to the Lord this morning as He leads you. My encouragement is just to surrender to every opportunity He gives you as Keetron leads us in song.